So good morning and welcome to Open Arms again online. You know, we continue our series titled Reignite. And this is a word that our lead pastor, Sean Booth, got at the beginning of the year. He takes time out every year and says, Lord, what are you saying to us this year as a church? And the Lord says to reignite, reignite our passion. And to, re- to ignite is obviously to, you know, ignite your boiler. Ignite that petrol in your carburetor is to set it alight. But to reignite is to set it on fire again, to begin to burn again, to begin to be passionate again about Jesus. And our, our prayer is that God will set a fire and a passion within you for 2022, that we, in a sense, will be consumed with the presence and the passion of Jesus Christ. So do you feel today, do you feel that you've lost your fire a little bit? Because I want to tell you, over the last 22 months, our, our fire has gone up and gone down quite a lot because of all the circumstances of life. But do you feel you've lost your edge or that passion? So what we're going to do is press into these messages, press in during the week in seeking the face and the presence of God that He would set us alight. You know, let me ask this question. Do you want to receive fresh fire today? Because that's a question we must all answer. So do you want to receive this? Do you want to experience a reawakening within you, a a rejuvenation, a regeneration to be revitalized and refreshed with the presence of God? Because when we come along and we make a decision, God, I want more of you. It's as if He runs towards us. The moment we press towards Him, He races towards us to embrace us. And I believe that the Lord wants to reignite within our spirit a fresh fire, and a fire for Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. A passion for our lives and the calling of God within our lives. I believe it's time to burn again. Jesus said in Matthew 5.15, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So what are we saying? Lord, you would set us a fire with such passion that our spouse our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, everyone would see that fire within us. That's what we're going for. That's what we're calling for. So the title of my message today is simply, it's time to be passionate about Jesus again. Hebrews 12, 2 for the message. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we begin to open up your word and delve into your word, that Lord, you don't give us more information. We can Google that. But Lord, you give us revelation, fresh revelation of who you are, a fresh revelation of your love and your nature and your character and who you are as Jesus in Jesus' name. So Hebrews 12, it says this, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could, up, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's here in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and it will shoot adrenaline into your souls. My goodness, what a, what a promise. I, I love that last piece. It says, when you find yourself flagging, I looked it up in the dictionary. What does this mean? 
When you find yourself declining, drooping, dwindling, failing, waning, deteriorating, wilting. You know, when, when, you, when you're wilting, what, what do you do when you sense this happening? Go over the story of Jesus again. Remember what He has achieved on the cross. Remember what He has done in your life. And then this story will shoot adrenaline into your very soul. It's, it's exciting stuff. It's passionate stuff. It's life-changing stuff. So Jesus has modeled for us how to be your best on your worst day. You know, it's interesting over the last two years, 22 months, that we've seen a lot of pressure come because of COVID and circumstances and, and finances and lack of space and lack of fellowship and lack of just contact with other human beings. And it has isolated a lot of people. And during that period, some people have drifted. Some people have fallen away. Some people have lost hope. And for some, you have remained faithful. But boy, has it been hard and has it been tough. You have remained faithful and committed to the call of God in your lives. But for many others, that is not the case. So Jesus is our example about how to respond when life doesn't seem to be working out. Do you see, for, for me and for all of us, it's, it's very easy when, when life is going good and we're feeling loved and feeling close to God, it's as if you're floating on air. You're reading your Bible, you're worshiping, you're in touch with people. But when life is not going well, it's hard. Life is hard. And that's when we need passion. That's when we need to remind ourselves about the love of God. That's when we really need to fall in love with Jesus again. And Jesus is our example when the real pressure comes on. Do you know when we come along and we're, we're squeezed? You know, if, you, if, uh, uh, in, in, if you're squeezed, what comes out of you? It's what's in you. If you take a sponge and it's in dirty water and you squeeze it, dirty water is going to come out. If you take a sponge and it's nice, clean, bubbly water, clean, bubbly water would come out. So when the pressure comes on, when we're squeezed, what's internal will come out of us, and we want to change that. So here's our example when we want life, faith, and the church, and the entire world to be at the center of what we want and our desire. You know, Jesus made several statements on the cross, and I call them seven life lessons that I believe that if we only get one or two of these lessons and internalize them and begin to work them out, they can change our life. They really can. They can change the direction of our lives. And so what I want us to do is, 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 is take notes. Write these down. Take note of these seven lessons and let us again see how majestic and beautiful and compassionate that Jesus is. So number one lesson we begin with from today. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. And, and, and I'm using that term ruin, you know, very intentionally. Not, not accidentally, but they're actually out to ruin your life. Jesus had been beaten, whipped within an inch of his life, mocked, ridiculed, then nailed to a cross. And the very first statement he made was what? May you all be cursed. <laughs> May you pay for your own sins. No, that was not his statement. Here's the first statement that Jesus made, Luke 23. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That was his first thing. You know, we all have people who've hurt us, who've let us down, wounded us, 
And every person I'm speaking to, every person who can hear my voice right now, you either have been rejected, you are being rejected, or you will be rejected. And that's life. That's how it goes. Now, let me tell you about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it's okay. Forgiveness does not excuse the behavior of others. Forgiveness does not mean that the other person gets away scot-free. Forgiveness does not minimize our pain and hurt and loss. And forgiveness does not mean that the relationship will be fully restored in this life. But according to Matthew 6, 15, this is what it says. For if I forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive their sins. So we find that forgiveness is a flow. Forgiveness allows forgiveness from the Father to flow through my life. Unforgiveness begins to stop the flow. And and one of the promises that Jesus made in the New Testament is that rivers of living water will flow through our lives, that the Spirit of God will flow through cleansing and healing and joy. Unforgiveness stops that. Unforgiveness will, in a way, distort my relationship with Jesus, with the Father and the Spirit. It will distort my relationship with myself and will certainly distort it with everyone else. So forgiveness is absolutely necessary. Can I tell you today, the biblical forgiveness will set you free. The second statement that Jesus made on the cross, help others who are experiencing the same struggle. Help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Luke 23 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now again, if Jesus were like me and us, perhaps he could have said, tough guy, you have to pay your own penalty. Hey, you're the one who sinned, not me. You deserve to hang on that cross. But he didn't. He he didn't say that. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, he would have had to push himself up through the nails on his feet in order to take a breath to respond to the thief on the cross. And this is what he said in verse 43. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. So, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of hanging on the cross where his lungs were being filled with water, when he was beginning to suffocate, he still had that compassion and love for other people. And the reason is because Jesus is and was other-centered. Matthew 20, 25 says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus was and is the great servant king. Guys, he is our, our example. You know, there's so many people who need a helping hand. There's so many people who need, as it were, a, a, a leg up. There's so many people who, who need compassion and love and sympathy and all the stuff that we do, we need. We, 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 we need to be other-centered. And, and there's some people who keep messing up in life. They're the ones who need extra grace. And we need extra grace to love them and to serve them and to be there for them. That is the biblical and the Christ-centered thing to do. But above all that, we need to love. And what does it tell us about love? Let me read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep scores of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never fails. So let us be like Jesus. Let us keep coming along and dying to ourselves, be other-centered, and to love just like Jesus loved. The third statement that Jesus made on the cross, be sure you've taken care of those closest to you. John 19, 26 says, when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, biblical scholars believe that Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, earthly father of Jesus, died at an early age. Therefore, Mary would have been a widow, and Jesus was concerned for her welfare. We must look after our spouse. We must look after our children. Jesus is number one, but our family has to be number one on this earth. I want to tell you, you know, my wife, I'm, this summer we're going to be married 45 years. And she knows that if I love Jesus, and she sees me loving Jesus, she is more secure in our relationship. Because she knows that if Jesus is my number one, She's going to be my number one. Can you get that today? So when Jesus is number one in your life, when you love Him with a passion, you will love your family. You will love your spouse. You will love your children. You know, it's said that a lot of people say that we hurt those who we love the most. Well, that's not biblical. That is not the biblical way. We must love those who are closest to us. We must sacrifice those who are closest to us. We must make that other effort to be there as number one. Elizabeth, my wife, has to be my sister in the Lord first. So I have to speak gently and kindly to her. I must be passionate about her, think about her, help her to be what God and the person that God has called her to be. So we must love our children, take care of our children, actually lay our lives down for our children. That is 
the instructions from God. The fourth statement by Jesus who hung on the cross, realize that until you get to heaven, there are some things that you won't understand. There are some things I will never understand. You know, we, we, we all ask questions, why? Why death? Why suffering? Why did that relationship not work out? I, one of my, my very dear friends, Donovan Kutsi, who's in South Africa, Cape Town right now, the doctor said that right now he's in hospital, he's dying from cancer, he's got a tumor, he, he can't get out of the bed, his strength is gone, he's fading and fading after serving the Lord for over 70 years. The doctor said maybe the next 10 days, two weeks, and he's going to be in heaven. I've, I've got some questions around that. You know, this whole thing about COVID that has arrived for the last 22 months, I have some questions around that, about people in church and relationships, what it has done. You know, about what, probably eight years ago, I had chest pains. I was hospitalized. I had to give up some things in my career that I really wanted to do. I've got questions about that. And the great thing about Jesus, when I look at Jesus, of course, He's fully God, but also fully man. Fully man and fully God at the same time. That miracle together. And in his humanity, he had some questions. Again, he's hanging on the cross. He's nailed it. The flesh has been torn off his body. He's been flayed and flogged within an inch of his life. He has thorns, thorns driven through his skull into his head, mocked and spat at nails into his hands, and he's hanging on this cross. And this is what he says in Matthew 27. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why? And somehow at that moment, we know that what has happened, the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, Everything that ever happened came upon Jesus. And it's as if this is what has happened. Watch this. It's as if the Father had turned His back on Jesus. At that moment, He was disconnected from the Father. At that precise moment, He hung on the cross as Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, and took our sin upon Himself. And He cried out, Why, oh why, have you forsaken me? Guys, if it's okay for Jesus to ask the question, it's okay for you and it's okay for me. It's okay to ask the questions. We have to ask questions. Just as long as we can accept that some of them may not be answered. That some of them won't be answered until we get to that place called heaven. Because our trust and our hope is not in answered questions. Our trust and our hope is not in the fact that we're going to know everything. Our trust and our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is my anchor. He is my cornerstone. He is my foundation. He is our hope. So let's hold on to Him and not wait for all our questions to be answered. The fifth statement by Jesus on the cross, be human enough to acknowledge your need. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the Scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, 
put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Guys, no one, no one is self-sufficient. The human Jesus had to ask for a drink. You know, when someone asks you, how are you doing? And then, hopefully, if they have enough sense to ask, tell me how you're really doing. Let's be honest with them. Let's try to be honest with them. And you know, that can be difficult for us, especially those who are brought up in the church. Because if you come along and say, you know, I'm really struggling, and someone just wants to throw a scripture at you, or someone wants to say a quick prayer, that, that's not going to allow you to open up your heart and express it. But what we must do is listen to people and say, I'm going through a really hard time. I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with, with COVID, and how can God allow all this to happen? I'm struggling. So I want to encourage you, please listen to people. Please hear what people have to say. Please find someone in your circle who you can be honest with. You know, I, I, I said there are, there are two types of people and two types of, of pots. You know, if you look at, say, clay pots to hold your plants in, there are pots that are porous and there are pots that are non-porous. The pots that are, are, are porous, you know, they leak water. And the pots that are non-porous hold their water. The same thing with humanity. We don't want people who can't hold their water. We, can't, we don't want people who can't trust, who's going to go off and just tell it. But we want to tell people who can hold their water, they can hold my trust and hold my story close to their heart. So I want to encourage you, find somebody and be that person who you can be honest with and say, hey, I'm really going through a tough time. I am struggling at this moment because we need someone in our lives. You know, I, I have found the last year and a half, the last 21 months, really difficult. I, I, I've struggled with not being in, in touch and in contact with people. I, I, I've struggled with not seeing church thriving and worship thriving. I've struggled with that. I, I, I miss people so much. And so much so that last year, I was driving Elizabeth crazy because I couldn't figure me out. I, I couldn't figure out what was going on in my life. What, why sometimes was I, was I angry or, or reactive or just fed up? And so I went for, for professional help. I went to see a counselor. And, and as I sat with these people, you know, one session, two sessions, three sessions, over and over, I began to get in touch with who, what was happening within my life again, beginning to understand me, <laughs> beginning to understand that I, I really love people and want to be with people and miss people so much. I, I really do. And, and it, was, it was affecting me and my relationships around me, and I got help, and it helped me. It really did. So I want to encourage you. Find someone. I'm not saying that you need to go to a professional counselor. You might need to just go for a cup of tea cup of coffee, have a chat. Be honest with somebody. Or indeed, you may need, like me, some more professional help. Guys, there is help there for you. We can help you. Your pastors can help you. But there's other people, your friends can help you as well. So please, try not to be self-sufficient, but try and invite other people into your life. The sixth statement on the cross be assured that there is a purpose and an end. Guys, it doesn't end here. John 19.30 says this, 
When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is over. The end, complete. Imagine, this too will end. Jesus knew that he had fulfilled his mission. He had come to earth and dealt with the sin issue and overcome the death issue. He realized that his mission was complete. Guys, there is an end. This will not go on forever. There is an end to it. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And I want to tell you, the older you get, the more that you're wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? What's the solution? So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, I am becoming right now, I'm becoming the legacy that I will leave for my son, Sean, and for my grandchildren, and for an entire generation. See, my legacy is not something I'm going to leave in a will. I am becoming my legacy. You are becoming the legacy that you will leave. It's about us. Everything we're going through is going to leave and be that legacy. There is a purpose to our life, and there is a purpose to our suffering. And and I want us to get this straight because some people think we shouldn't suffer. We're Christians. We should have all joy all the time. We, we, We should be filled with laughter. We go through suffering. It is part of the journey. Let me read Romans 5.3. It says, Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God loves what God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So very clearly, this Scripture is saying to me and to you that I cannot have perseverance, that I cannot have character, and that I cannot have hope without passing through suffering. Suffering is what we go through in order to obtain that great hope. But there is an end. It will end. This will not continue for eternity. This will end, and we will be in the presence of Jesus where there will be no more pain and no more heartache, and no more disappointed, and that's the place we call heaven. So there's a purpose. There is a purpose to everything we go through. So I want to encourage you, keep going and follow in the steps of Jesus. The seventh statement by Jesus as He hung on the cross, finally surrender your day to God and let it go. Let go and let God. Luke 23, 46, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And this is a, is a word for all of us. It's that word of surrender, living a life of surrender. And you know, perhaps you're here and you're listening to my voice and you might need to surrender a relationship, a relationship that keeps knocking you off. Perhaps you have this relationship where you love intently and dearly, but they don't love you in return. It might be time 
to surrender. It might be time to surrender your spouse, your kids. It might be surrender your dreams for your kids that are not going to come through. Your dreams for your own life that will never be achieved. You may need to surrender your, your finances. Maybe you have high expectations of, of the dreams and the goals that you're going to reach. Maybe your spouse has dreams and goals for you to reach that might never happen. Perhaps there's something to do with your, your career, your exam results, or that house that you've always wanted. Today is a time to surrender. So allow me to pray for you right now. So Father, oh Lord, I want to be passionate, and we want to be passionate for more of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will set a fire and a light within my heart. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us right now, Lord, whether we're sitting watching the TV, the computer, the phone, in our, wherever we might be, that, Lord, we would live a life of surrender. So, Lord, we would live a life where in our minds and our thoughts we would say, I must diminish and you must increase. I must decrease and you must increase. Lord, we, may, we live a life where we live with open hands, with open arms, where we surrender, which allows room for more of you and your love and your passion where we're not distracted by the things that are not real. We're not distracted by the things of the world or our friends or family or colleagues. But Lord, we concentrate on you, the author, perfecter of our faith, but also as part of surrender. Perhaps you're listening to my voice and, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity. He is here right now. His hand is extended towards you. And I'm going to give you the opportunity of just inviting Jesus into your life. So wherever you are, wherever you might be right now, do you want to close your eyes with me? And I want to lead you in this prayer. Jesus, I surrender to you. I give you my life. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to take my guilt and my shame. Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you were raised on the third day. So right now I declare that I am a child of God, that I am forgiven, that I am cleansed in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if you've said that prayer for the very first time, or perhaps you've renewed your commitment, if you just go to online and there's a place where you can go to a connect card, and on there you can say, I've committed my life to Jesus, or I've recommitted my life to Jesus, we want to be in touch with you and to help you take the next step in your faith. But remember as we finish, continue this week and keep seeking Jesus that you might be passionate for Him. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile be upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you His peace. God bless you. Have a great week.